Christianity begins to uh, continue to spread and thrive to the ends of the earth, meaning Augusta, Georgia, and throughout the South and throughout uh, America, just as it did in the first century in the known world, it continues to do today. Um, And this is where our story gets a little personal. In 1986, there was a young man named Jeremy Carr, and I was uh, visiting my uh, father and my uncle up in Franklin, Kentucky, and we were attending a small church called Round Pond Presbyterian Church where my uncle was the pastor, and he was serving communion and preaching the gospel, and God opened my mind to understand the good news of Jesus. As an eight-year-old boy, I became a Christian. Jesus saved me. The best that I knew uh, as an eight-year-old is is that I needed rescuing from who I was apart from God and that Jesus was the one rescuing me. So I became a Christian, and then in uh, July of 1986, I was baptized in Sulphur Fork Creek, uh, a small creek behind my father's uh, log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. Uh, And uh, God continued to work in me uh, and continues to work in me today. And then fast forward a couple years to the 90s. Uh, My father moved back here, and in the 1990s, we began going to Curtis Baptist Church, one of the Southern Baptist churches that began here in Augusta, Georgia. It was there I met a nice, angry, red-headed man uh, named Reggie Horn, who's not here, so I'm going to pick on him. He's on vacation. And Reggie and I became friends as we grew up in the youth group together. Fast forward a couple more years, it was 2003, we found ourselves at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana, attending an urban church planting class. And as God was teaching us a lot through his word and through the history of his church throughout uh, hundreds of years, we saw that God had placed us uniquely in our hometown of Augusta, Georgia, to steward the gospel. And it began to resonate with us in a new way. And so as we attended this urban church planting class, we found ourselves in an awesome little Irish pub called O'Flaherty's that is no longer there because of Katrina. That is a tragedy. Katrina is a tragedy, but O'Flaherty's not being there is also a tragedy. um, But we found ourselves in this Irish pub, opening the word of God, having shepherd's pie, (laughs) and studying what God would have us to do when we came back to Augusta. And so in 2003, God birthed the vision to plant a church uh, that at the time was going to be called the Well Community Church. In 2004, Reggie and I began meeting uh, every week to pray and seek God's direction uh, and give us an understanding of what he would have us to do. In 2005, we began having evening evening meetings uh, where we would have a time of worship and biblical teaching, and a few of you guys in this room were here as a part of that. And, And God was showing us more and more about what he would be doing here. In 2006, we got connected with an interdenominational church planting network called Acts 29. Uh, it was there that we got assessed uh, at, a, at a church planting boot camp and met other pastors who were coaching us and training us and trying to direct us theologically and practically about what it means to begin a church movement, a church planting movement in Augusta, Georgia. In 2007, right around Easter time, we became a church uh, within Acts 29. Uh, At the time, there were fewer than 100 churches in the Acts 29 network. Now there are are five times that. And so by God's grace, we got connected with this network that gave us funding. We we got funding from various churches such as uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, Vintage Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, Cross Current Church and and Portico Church. They're both in Virginia, uh, Praxis Church, which is in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And these churches gave us uh, funding, training, prayer support, theological support, uh, marital support, uh, just some, some shepherding and wisdom. 
Uh, by God's grace, over the past several years, we have been able to uh, grow and change as a church in various different ways. Uh, many of you guys have not been with us since 2007, so uh, you, you don't know the backstory, but some of you guys have, and you've seen how God has worked in our lives personally and as a church to bring us to this point. Uh, by God's grace, over the past couple years, we've not only been the recipients of funding and coaching from other churches, but God has allowed us to be part of funding and coaching and training for other churches and church planters. Uh, We've been able to help coach, train, and fund pastors uh, such as Brian Robbins at Missio Dei Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and Ernie Banks at Eden Village Church in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, James Walden at Columbia, uh, Columbia, South Carolina at Riverside uh, Community Church. And so, um, Over the years, we have seen, as being part of the Acts 29 church planting network, we are seeing a movement of God uh, take place in our midst. In your bulletin, you'll see on the back um, of your bulletin, you'll see um, some statistics we just wanted to throw out there. And here's why. What I'm getting at, uh, when I tell you the story, it's not just to tell you uh, a funny story. Uh, It's to share with you, um, in part, my personal story, so you can see how my personal story fits into your personal story and how God has drawn us here together and our story together as a church community and how our story fits into the larger story of what God's doing. And so I wanted to share with you a couple of those names so that you can know. And you see this uh, statistics on the back of your bulletin here from uh, the Acts 29 network. These statistics are are taken into account uh, up to 2012 last year. Uh, Right now there are currently 142,932 people uh, within Acts 29 churches. There are 468 churches. At the time we became an Acts 29 church, I think we were 89th. And so now there are 468 churches, 18 denominations, 61 countries, 6 continents. In 2012, we had 19,259 baptisms. Some of you in this room were baptized last year, and you were part of that beautiful story. 656 church planters are in training right now. There's 171 church planters that were sent out in 2012. 48% of the churches are located in urban areas. 36% of churches are located in suburban areas. 16% of churches are located in rural areas. And I don't know where we are in that, but somehow we're there. We're our own. And then there's Redemption Church um, that meets, you know, in Narnia. Okay, so I just wanted to share with you those, those statistics. And again, what I want us to see is how God is at work in your life personally and my life personally and our lives together and how as a church community God is doing something and we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Not just an international church planting movement, but a movement of God to redeem people from all cultures, from all generations. It's what he's been doing for thousands of years. It's what he's doing today. And you were part of this story. I'm part of this story. We're part of this story together. And it's kind of exciting. Let's get to the Bible. If you look to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see how the Bible has informed this movement of God for generations. We're going to see how Jesus has commissioned his people to go out sent as disciples and disciple makers to take this good news. And so today, as we find ourselves sitting in this school, part of a church plant that plants churches, that's part of a planting church movement, Uh, I want us to unpack the word of God as we conclude the book of Ephesians and see how this all ties in together. So let me pray, and we'll read Ephesians 6. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, a time that we can gather as your people, uh, with your people, God, a time to share the good news with each other through your word 
through proclaiming the gospel, through singing, through fellowship. And God, as we share our personal stories with each other about how you have redeemed us, how you are redeeming us, I God, I pray that we will walk away encouraged, seeing a bigger, clearer picture of who you are as our rescuer, as our savior. And God, how you are at work through generations, through cultures, through church plants, and uh, through our lives personally. So God, I pray that you would uh, give us a great deal of understanding today by your Holy Spirit as we open your word in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's word. Friends, is a planting church, as a church that's been planted and is planting, as a planting church, there's a few things I want us uh, to see that Scripture informs us uh, today. Um, as a planting church, we see that we are planted and rooted. As a planting church, we see uh, that we are to be praying and proclaiming. And as a planting church, that we are sent and sending. So track along with me as we look at this. As a church planting church, we are planted and rooted. We are praying and proclaiming. And we are both sent and sending. Okay, first we see this planted and rooted Uh, This is more of a uh, nuanced idea from the entire book of Ephesians. As we have seen for the past 10 months and 28 messages, if you've been tracking with us in the book of Ephesians, we see that, that Paul, the apostle, is not from Ephesus, but a church has been planted in Ephesus, has been started there, a community of believers living out this new identity as Christians, and Paul is shepherding them, um, he is writing to them this wonderful letter to, to teach them what it means to be a Christian in Ephesus. And we often forget that Paul does not write to them saying, jettison your Ephesian culture. Nor does he say, if you want to be a Christian, you need to get the heck out of Ephesus. But rather, he says, to the church at Ephesus. And he addresses them with the gospel as they live out as Ephesians. You see, biblically speaking, if you read the entire Bible from cover to cover, you see that God places people in locations. He has placed you in a location. He has given you a culture to be brought up in. You you have been shaped by your surroundings no matter where you were born or where you grew up or the school you attended, the family in which you were born. And in the city now that you live, of of Augusta, Georgia, there there is a cultural dynamic that exists, and that's not by accident. God has placed you here, just like he did the thousands of people in Ephesus. You see, Paul is writing to a church. Ephesus was about the size, population-wise, of Augusta. There was about, they think, about 200,000 or so people 
in the city of Ephesus. And as Paul writes to these uh, Christians that are emerging there as, as a church, he, he doesn't tell them to walk away from Ephesus, but rather understand that God has placed you in Ephesus for a reason. There is a purpose that you are in Ephesus. You see, they are called to be Christians, and they are called to be Ephesians. There's a, a, a moment where you, you settle into the culture in which God has placed you, and settling down does not mean selling out. It does not mean you are um, doing anything wrong. I mean, it, it's good that you are settling into your life in Augusta, Georgia. Many of you were brought here because of school. Maybe you're a medical student. Maybe you were in the military. Maybe a job has brought you here. Ultimately, God has brought you here, and he's brought you here for a reason. Some of you may be here for one year. Some of you may be here for ten years. Some of you may be here for a lifetime. Whatever the case, God has brought you here. He has placed you in Augusta, Georgia. That is not an accident. And he's placed you here for a purpose. Just like Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, people who were born and, and living in Ephesus. It was a port city, so there were people in Ephesus who didn't grow up in Ephesus. I grew up in Augusta, Georgia. I'm a rarity in this room. There are people at the church in Ephesus that didn't grow up there. They were brought there because of their jobs. It was a, a, a city full of education and um, a religious tradition. It was a port city, so they had a lot of shipping and just whatever port cities have. And so, boats. <laughs> but what Paul does when he writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, look, to the church at Ephesus, to my Ephesians, you're different than the Corinthians. You're different than the Romans. You're different than the Galatians. You are Ephesians. Be proud of being Ephesian. Now, in light of the gospel, you have a new identity. And you all have different roles. But know that God has planted you in Ephesus. There's different roles to live out this gospel. We've seen in the book of Ephesus, Paul is writing to husbands, to wives, to those who are working, to children. And we see that God has planted them in Ephesus. And this is one thing I just want to encourage you guys with as we, as we read the gospel and we see, wow, I mean, we, we've looked at the book of Ephesians to say, wow, God, we have a new identity in Christ. I want to live out this new identity in Christ. And some of us say, I want to sell everything and hop on a plane and go to Africa. Awesome. If that's what God has for you, obey him and go. But friends, if God has planted you in Augusta, that may not be a bad thing. In fact, I think it's divine because a vast majority of people are planted in a culture to live out the gospel in that culture. When you read the book of Ephesians, how many Pauls are there? One. How many Ephesians are there? Well, about 200,000 in the city. We don't know how many Christians Paul is writing to. You see, sometimes in our zealousness for the gospel, we're so quick to leave, we forget to stay. We're so quick to go to make disciples, we forget that the mandate is to make disciples as you go. Not go and make disciples, but as you go, as you live your life, make disciples. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, helping them realize that, hey, there's only one Paul. Not all of us are called to be preachers. Not all of us are called to leave our city. Some of us are called to dig down roots and buy a house, get a career going, start a business. Raise your kids here. That's what Paul is writing to with the book of Ephesians. I, I've looked and I don't see anywhere that he tells anybody to drop everything and move away. 
In fact, he's saying, look, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, follow your parents. Workers, work like this. Like, really dig deep into the culture of Ephesus because God has planted you there. And in our overchurched culture, I often run into zealous people who so much want to be a Paul, they forget that there's something deeply gospel and biblical about being your average Ephesian. Everybody wants to be a Paul. Nobody wants to be the Ephesian. Everybody wants to go, and nobody wants to, like, stay. (laughs) I think it's harder to stay, in all honesty. It's harder to be the average Ephesian guy who says, look, I'm going to start a business in this port city, but I have to do so with integrity as a Christian. And this is going to be hard because Ephesus is not friendly to Christians. I think it's going to be hard for husbands and wives to say, you know what, Ephesus is a port city, man. It's like a party down on the coast. We got this corrupt, there's a school of magic in Ephesus, this weird Hogwarts Academy. And and, and it's probably hard for parents in Ephesus to say, man, do we really want to raise our kids here? And Paul's saying, yes, God has planted you there. There's been a lot of talk lately on the blogosphere, and I'm not knocking this. I actually had a class with David Platt, who wrote a great book called, what's it called, Radical? <laughs> I forgot. Um, but he wrote a book called Radical, I think. And um, good man, loves the Lord, loves missions, passionate about adoption, solid man. Reggie and I had a class with him in New Orleans. Great dude, right? But lately on the blogosphere, as uh, the past several weeks especially, there's been this kind of backlash against against um, what it means to be a radical Christian or to just drop everything and go and do that. God uses that. And if God calls you to live that way, do it. But there's been kind of this pendulum to go back to say, you know what's radical is ordinariness. Like living gospel, giving a gospel life. Just like going to work with the gospel is radical. And I read a blog a couple weeks ago that has very much encouraged me. It says this, Some are called to radical living. Others are called to a ordinary life. But that ordinary life does not mean it's devoid of the gospel and devoid of mission. Listen to this. Uh, An ordinary life is a sort of faithful, anonymous, regular living. We are to fulfill our unique vocations based on the set of talents, gifts, and opportunities God has given us. We're called not simply to be pastors or missionaries in a far-flung place, We're called to be faithful living at home in ordinary vocations because the actual work we produce honors God as the creator. We must reflect him when we do good work. We must understand that you can be radical in an ordinary sort of way. Radical doesn't always mean doing what God has called someone else to do. My radicalness shouldn't be used as a hammer against your life. The radical call to discipleship shouldn't damage the doctrine of vocation, which God gives. It's the God-ordained worth and value to seemingly secular endeavors. I, I, I love what this author wrote there. You can be radical in an ordinary sort of way, because radical doesn't always mean doing what God has called someone else to do. God has not called everyone in this room to be a preacher, Right? Could you imagine if we just had 100 people stand up and we all start preaching at each other and then we all go home? That'd be, just do it right now. 
I mean, could you imagine if we all just stood up and amen? God has not called us all to be preachers. God has not called us all to work for churches or ministries. Some of us, yes. And if God calls you to do it, do it. But man, when you go to work tomorrow, God has placed you in that hospital. God has placed you in that doctor's office. God has placed you in the store in which you work, in the office where you work. God has placed you there to steward the gospel, to do good work, to honor him. So where has God placed you, my friends? As we conclude the book of Ephesians and we see that in Ephesus God had planted people there, I want us to do inventory of our lives. Where has God placed you? God has planted and rooted people in Ephesus for the stewarding of the gospel just as he's planted and rooted us here. Because a planting church understands that they have been planted there in a location by God, but but also that they've been rooted in the gospel and a biblical identity. We've seen through the whole book of Ephesians, not only did did Paul say, look, the church at Ephesus, God has placed you in Ephesus, but moreover, he said, look, you were rooted in a biblical identity. You're not rooted in the identity of what you do or where you grew up, but you were rooted in an identity in Christ. I mean, over the whole book of Ephesians, we've talked about this. We have the identity of faithful saints. We're rooted in the identity of being blessed in Christ, chosen by God, adopted, holy, redeemed, forgiven, alive in Christ. We are God's workmanship, We are reconciled citizens in his kingdom. We are part of the new humanity. We are called to walk in unity together in a new life as beloved children, filled with his Holy Spirit. We're to do this in marriage, in family, in the workplace, as soldiers in the war of life, equipped as a community together. That's the book of Ephesians. I just just read the titles of the past 28 messages. Friends, we are planted in a location, but we are rooted in our identity in Christ. And that's good news. And that changes everything. So as a planting church, we see that we are planted and rooted. Planted in a location, we are rooted with our identity in Christ. But secondly, we are praying and proclaiming. We see this more explicitly um, as Paul writes this in, in verse uh, 18, as he said, take up the helm, or 17, take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, Part of being a planting church is seeing that we've been planted while we are rooted in our identity in Christ, but also we are praying and proclaiming. You see, Paul says in verse 18, he's charging the Ephesian church to pray. I mean, do you see, he opens the book with this charge of a new identity in Christ, and he talks about how that plays out practically in marriage, of family, with kids, and in the workplace, and, and how life is war. You have to get armored up. And then he says, I mean, the last couple sentences of the book, the letter, he's like, pray. Just pray. Pray in the Spirit. I mean, he just said a couple, a couple chapters earlier that, that we're we are like the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Uh, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. The Holy Spirit makes our hearts alive. If you were a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption. In the same Holy Spirit, we are to pray. It means the Holy Spirit guides our hearts, affection, and our minds, uh, attention, and, and, and where we 
our deepest yearnings, where our heart breaks, how our heart is moved, how we are motivated, all of those things come out in your prayers. Like when you, when you talk to God and say, God, my heart is so moved for this thing or for this person or my heart is so burdened in such a way. God, I'm confused. I'm hurting. Those are indications of where your heart is, the heart that's been changed by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, pray in the Spirit. I love it. He says, pray at all times and with all prayer. What does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to pray at all times and with all prayer? Does it mean we should just, right now, you're just like not even listening, I'm praying, excuse me. Kind of. It means that our hearts and minds are in such in tune by the Holy Spirit of God that, that God is not some distant guy that we have to like send a letter via pigeon. It's like, you know, and get back to me, God. We have this connection with the Lord by the Holy Spirit in which we can approach the Father, the creator of the universe. We can talk to him. God is our loving Father who loves his children. Those of you with kids know that your kids, when they need something, they don't care what you're doing. I mean, they'll just walk right up. I mean, some, even this morning, like, we're, like, sitting here doing stuff, and folks are coming up saying, man, I need to talk to you about something. And my kid's like, Dad, can I have a donut? I'm like, no, I'm in the middle of something. You know when you have kids that kids are, they know they have instant access to their parents. It's a good thing. In the same way, we have an instant connection to God our Father. And we're to be praying at all times, in all prayer, by the Spirit of God. I'll just confess to you guys, I mean, my prayer life is not always the strongest part of the spiritual disciplines in which I participate. I love to read and study Scripture and I'll pray. I'll be like, God, please teach me through your Word and I'll study. But, but sometimes having carved out long periods of time just to commune with the Father, um, it's harder to come by for me. I've been highly convicted of this, trying to find ways to do it. I've actually recently made adjustments to, to my uh, schedule so at certain mornings, if I'm unavailable, it's because I need to commune with the Father. And, and, and I'm using different techniques to try to bring focus to my scattered mind and, and kind of reorienting myself to a, a prayer journal kind of thing. And so um, how, are you, how do you pray? And do you pray? Do you pray at all times? In all prayer, are you praying in the Spirit? Paul also says this, Pray in the Spirit, pray at all times, and in all prayer, he says, supplication. Making supplication for all the saints. Praying is a time where we not only commune with the Father, but, but we, we pray for what he's doing in the lives of other people through their hardship, through their triumphs, through their struggles, through their sin, through their uh, gospel endeavors. Friends, I pray for you guys. All the time. If you're a member here, we have a list of our members now, and I just updated it a couple days ago so that I could actually like see your name and be sure that I don't miss anybody. So we're to pray for one another. Supplication for all the saints. That's not just the missionaries abroad or the church planters, although they're part of that, but it's you as you go to the workplace tomorrow, as you go to your school, as you go back to your neighborhoods to steward the gospel. John Piper famously quoted, you will not know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. So friends, how are we doing with praying? Because as a planted church, we know that we are 
a planting church, we know that we are planted in a location, but rooted in our identity in Christ. And we know that we are to be praying people and proclaiming. Because Paul says that the praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, is to be something that we persevere in. It's a consistent thing. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, prayer is not only for personal comfort, although it's for that, but supplication for the saints, for those who we pray for, is so that the good news of Jesus may go forth through their lives. When I pray for you, I don't just pray, hey man, I hope that that so-and-so has a good day at the hospital. I do pray for that, but I also pray, man, when they're at the hospital tomorrow, God, I pray that there would be an opportunity for them to share the gospel with a coworker, or that through their kind acts of service that may go unnoticed, somehow they are worshiping you and serving you in a way that the good news of Jesus will ripple through the hospital. And I, I pray for you moms who are raising children. I mean, uh, being married to my wife, who is a mom, and we have four kids together, just I'm amazed at, at, at how laborious that has to be day in and day out. I pray for the moms of this church that they would be encouraged as they steward the gospel to their children. I pray for you men that are in school and that are working in businesses and, and pursuing careers, uh, that it would be a worshipful, God-honoring time because God has planted us there so that we would pray for each other, that the gospel may go forth as we proclaim the good news to each other. This is what Paul says, the gospel is good news. That is to be proclaimed, verse 19, pray for me that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The the gospel is good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing so that it would be proclaimed, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So friends, how and to whom are you proclaiming this good news? Not everybody's called to be a preacher, but we're all called to proclaim the good news, right? Paul is saying, look, I have a unique task as I'm writing the New Testament here and I'm being imprisoned for the gospel. I'm, I'm proclaiming it as a preacher, but also God has planted you somewhere so that you could proclaim this good news as well. And finally, being a planting church... We're planted and rooted. We're praying and proclaiming. But thirdly, we're sent and sending. And this is how Paul concludes the letter. He says, So that you may also know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I I love that. I mean, Paul just says, Look, I just wrote the New Testament, but I'm sending this guy Tychicus. He's not a preacher, but he's a courier of good news. I'm sending him to you so that he can encourage your hearts, so he could give you an update of what's going on. I love that Paul does not belittle this guy's role in the gospel. I mean, he's a courier, but he's going to encourage their hearts by telling them what the update is. You see, as a planting church, together we are a community of people who God is planting places as we're rooted in our identity so that we can pray together and proclaim this good news in various ways, recognizing that we are both sent and sending. It's the same gospel 
same identity, but different roles, different places, different spheres of influence. Paul and Tychicus are two different guys. Tychicus is not Paul. He's Tychicus. Just say that, Tychicus. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's not writing the New Testament. He's not preaching all over the place in Ephesus right here that we see. But he is a faithful minister as he's being a courier of, of probably this letter. I mean, you know, he's like, here you go. Here's Tychicus. Here's the book of Ephesians. Will you take that to Ephesus? It's an important role. I don't know if he rode a horse or walked, but he had an important job as a courier of the good news. Likewise, each of us have different roles. And Paul concludes the letter by saying, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So as we wrap it up, I want us to see this, is that, <laughs> I mean, this, this, this just gets me so excited. When you see the whole picture of the book of Ephesians as Paul has written to them about being planted in their city, being rooted in their identity. He gives them the charge to, to pray to the Father that saved them and pray for each other and, and to proclaim this good news to one another through their various roles as husbands and wives and parents and people working, planted in this culture. He concludes with these strong words of peace, love, faith, and grace. And this is what it's all about. Christianity is not about being a better person. Church planting is not the end-all, be-all. It is a, a vessel to gather people to be planted in a location to live out this new identity as a praying, proclaiming people sent and to send people to steward peace, love, faith, and grace. And this gets me really excited because you are part of the story. I'm part of the story. We're part of the story together for this season. Oh, it excites me. Peace means having a right relationship with God and each other secured by Jesus. We have peace with one another. You can't be mad at me. I can't be mad at you. We have a right relationship with each other. Why? Because Jesus. Yeah. We have a right relationship, moreover, with God, the creator of the universe. Man, our sins are atoned for, our rebellion is dealt with. And so when we come together, we proclaim this peace to one another. And we just say, look, man, because of Jesus, life's going to look different. We're right with God, so we don't have to do better, try harder. We're right with God, so we don't have to clean ourselves up and look better. We're right with each other, man, because of Jesus. So we're going to mess up sometimes, probably going to hurt our feelings, probably going to say something dumb. That's okay, because we're right. That's good news, man. We need to tell people that. We need to experience that together, and we need to tell everybody that. I mean, today when you go to lunch with somebody, tell them that, right? Actually, before you leave here, you're going to stand up and tell that to somebody in this room because we need to hear it, not just from me, but from everybody, right? I need to hear that. Somebody come tell that to me. Seriously. Preachers need to be preached at, yo. Just saying. We have love. Love is a restored commitment and affection for God and each other because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Faith is, is a belief in ongoing relational trust and action. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor from God in Christ. We show this to each other and point each other to Jesus. So that's it, man. This is the end of the book of Ephesians. So what, what, where do we go from here? What do we do next, right? 
So you've been planted here for a reason. In this church, in this city, in your job, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. I mean, I don't even like my family. Well, God planted you there. Talk to him about it. Pray. May we be rooted in our identity in Christ personally, as a family, as a church community. May we be praying for each other, praying for yourselves, praying for God to move in our midst so that we may proclaim the good news of Jesus in families, in your marriages, through your friendships, in the workplace, in your neighborhoods. May we do this personally. May we do this corporately through our missional communities, through our friendships, through this church. May we understand that we are to be sent by God and we have been sent to a place. God is sending you to work tomorrow to steward the gospel. God is sending you home today to steward the gospel. So, as we reflect on this, I want to ask you, where do you find your story in this story? And how does your story fit in our story together? Uh, Let me pray. God, thank you for a time to open your word. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to go through the book of Ephesians um, over the past 10 months or so. And God, I pray that uh, your gospel truths would resonate with us, God, that we would not just gloss over it in a 40-minute sermon, Lord, but that it would sink deep as we reflect and study and read and pray over uh, your scriptures. God, I pray that you would constantly speak to our hearts, uh, not just about what we should be doing, but rather who we are in you. God, I pray for everyone in this room. God, may you remind us constantly of our identity rooted in Christ. God, but may may we also see that you've given us this new identity for a purpose, that we would be praying and proclaiming people, and that you've planted us in uh, this location for the season to do that. I pray that we would do so faithfully. And God, as we reflect on, on the great gospel facets of grace and faith and peace and love, God, that you would help us Um, just be saturated in that truth by your Holy Spirit and also that that would be exemplary of our lives uh, together. That we would be those who who have such evident change because of the work of Jesus. I mean, God, I pray for our our church community, Redemption Church. God, I pray that that you would be so good in our midst to to move in such a way that we would witness your work going on uh, here within this church community and that it would ripple out to all of our neighborhoods and cities, uh, the parts of the city and to the cities beyond Augusta, to the state of Georgia, to South Carolina, to the southeast, to the nation, and indeed to the world. God, we ask all of this in the good name of Jesus. It's for your glory and our joy we ask in Christ's name.